crucial, so critical, because I really truly believe it's, it's, it's a message about the holiness of God and our commitment and consecration. And messages like these, depending on how we respond to a message like this one, can really chart the course of the rest of our lives. So let that be a word as we go into the word that how we respond to what we're about to hear right now can typically can chart the course of the rest of our lives. So it's important. It's vital. I've recently finished studying all about the time in Judah's history. Judah was the southern kingdom of Israel after they were dispersed and after the kingdom was divided. Where the second temple was being built and the walls of Jerusalem were being repaired and rebuilt after the Babylonians had conquered them and destroyed these things. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked to you about the, how Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And as a man of prayer, he came back as a civic leader to join together with God's people. And he rebuilt the walls in just 52 days. When Nehemiah first showed up on the job site, he immediately, though, he shows up on the job site. He says, I have a job to do. God's given me a vision. We're going to rebuild these walls. He gets his team together. They get it done in 52 days, which was amazing. It was a miracle. But immediately when he gets on the job site, he faces opposition from his enemies. Look at the notes from his memoirs in Nehemiah 2.10. It says, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. I want you to remember those names, so would you mind saying them with me, and I'll try to do my best, and you can, you can say them. I don't even care how you say them. You can say Sanballat, you can say Sanballat, you can say Sanballat. I don't care. Say it however you want. Take your liberty with the scripture in this one case. Sanballat and Tobiah. All right, now see, you weren't, some of you weren't, you're like, oh, we were supposed to go right there, so let's give you another shot. Now I'm just going to mess with you. Sanballat and Tobiah. So now we know those two names. These people were the enemies of the project in Judah. These were introduced to these men. These are non-Jewish men. They were not, they were not Jews. They were not Hebrews. They were, they were unhappy with this project because rebuilding the city walls of Jerusalem would change the balance of political power in favor of the Jews. Even way back then, people were concerned about changing the balance of political power. Some things never change. This morning, I want to preach on this topic. Inviting the enemy into the church. Inviting the enemy into the church. We're going to pray right now for this message, but I need you to pray for me. Because I'm going to try and deliver this message of the way God laid it in my heart. But then I want you to pray for you. Because God's going to help me. I'm confident in that. But you have to have your heart and ears and mind open to what it is God wants to say. So we both need prayer right now as we go into this message. So let's do that. God, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Where would we be without your word? We'd be a people who are aimlessly trying to figure out what your will and plan is. 
But in this case, we can look at your word and we can understand timeless principles that we can apply to our lives that would ever forever change us and impact us. Let it be a word of challenge, encouragement, direction, instruction. God, all the things that you say right in your word that that's what it's for. So God, anoint me, help me, Lord, to allow you to flow through me that you can speak to your people. God, I don't take standing in this pulpit lightly, God. I know that I'm your voice for this hour, and that's, that's a huge privilege and responsibility, so I need you. God, but help every man, woman, and child, either watching online or here present today, that their minds and hearts and ears would be open to receive, Lord, that we'd be tuned into your word so that it really would forever change us. I pray in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. So Nehemiah, he, he comes and he says, it's time to rebuild the walls. And walls are powerful. They form a boundary around the city. They were there, the walls were there to protect good things and to keep out bad things. I mean, how many of you are comfortable just going out and saying, you know what? No, it doesn't matter the elements. doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter if there's tigers or bears. I'm just going to sleep wherever. I don't need any walls. We're more confident in our, the walls of our house than we would be even in the walls of a tent. Because there are walls. Walls are structurally, prayerfully structurally sound. Hopefully, we don't go home after church today and our house had just fallen in. Hopefully the walls are still standing, okay? And so today, many in society hate the idea of a boundary. As I turned from, from 291 onto Glen Hendron, there is a boundary there. And I was kind of turning like this, and there's just a steep drop-off right there as you turn right from 291 onto Glen Hendron right here. And there's a steep boundary, and I thought... Man, imagine if that boundary marker was not there. How many people could just fly off the edge? Hopefully you don't even hit the boundary. Hopefully you don't touch the boundary. But if you got off course a little bit, thank God the boundary's there. But people today will think, well, their boundaries are so restricting. Don't tell me what I can and can't do, where I can and can't go. But I'm thankful for boundaries. I'm thankful when I drive that there's a white marker and there's yellow dotted markers and it provides a boundary so that when I drive, I'm not just able to go where I want, but the people next to me also can't just go wherever they want. I know sometimes they still tend to do that just a little bit. But folks, without those city walls, there would be no protection for the temple they just built. Nehemiah gets back to rebuild the city walls, but just recently, we just talked about this, they had rebuilt the temple, the Solomon's temple that, that, that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. They had first started by rebuilding the temple. It started at an altar, then they built, rebuilt the temple walls. But now there's a beautiful temple standing there, but there's no city walls. Well, in that day and age, if you had a city without walls... It's just a matter of time, and it's going to be destroyed again. I find it interesting, though, that the Apostle Paul says this in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, don't you realize, he's writing to a Corinthian church, he says, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So back then in the Old Testament, there's a building in the temple where his spirit would dwell. So then you move to the New Testament. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Why? So that you don't just have a physical building where my spirit dwells. Imagine just you can only experience the spirit of God when you come to this place. 
If you're still thinking that in the 21st century, you missed it. You don't have to. Now, church, assembling, worship, it is crucial, and the Bible talks about that. But this is not the only place that you can experience the temple, the, the Spirit of God. You, Paul says, you, your body is now the temple of the Spirit. And he says, who lives in you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. Notice that in all this discourse about the fact that we're the temple, he ends with just a couple words that says, hey, FYI, just remember, because of this fact, you don't belong to yourself. So when I receive God's Spirit, that comes with power and anointing and authority. And it's great, and I have God with me. But now He dwells in me, so I'm not my own. I've been bought and paid for with a price. So, just like the times of Nehemiah, your temple won't stand very long. Because back then, they could build a temple and invaders, and they could just come and they'd just destroy it because there was no walls around the city. There was no walls around the temple. Nothing provided the protection for the temple. There had to be. That's why Nehemiah says, I got to get back there. We got to rebuild the walls because there has to be some form of boundary between us and our temple and the rest of the world. Now you go to the New Testament, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're standing tall, God's Spirit is in you. But if there is no boundary between your heart and, your, and the Spirit of God in you and the rest of the world, it's only a matter of time and you too will find failure and destruction. And so there are now some things that as I'm filled with God's spirit, I'm not my own. Scripture reminds me of that. So I look at myself and I say, wow, I got to watch the way I forgive people, the way I pray, the way I dress, the music I listen to, the entertainment I view in my spare time. There is a certain element that I says, now I need to rebuild the wall that's around me. I got to put something around me that says, I need some separation between me and the rest of the world. Solomon even compared their, ourself to, to a city without walls. He said in Proverbs 20, 25, 28, he says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Why would he say that? Because he knew that if you were a city in those days without walls, you wouldn't be a city long. And so Solomon, his wisdom, knew that a child of God without self-control, without personal boundaries and disciplines, would not withstand the test of time. It doesn't matter that they just rebuilt the temple and that God was dwelling in that temple. If they didn't have walls and boundaries, they would not be standing long. You are filled with the Spirit of God, and that's beautiful, and it's amazing. But if there is not a consecration, if there is not a boundary between you and the rest of the world, you also will not stand long. So Nehemiah immediately identifies the enemies of the project, the enemies of the walls. It's Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite. And these guys, they continually try to stop what God is doing. Look at Nehemiah 2.19. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. Now, I could have preached this on a Wednesday night where we have principles for life, life teaching. But I want to, I want to, I want to, I think they call it when you mix teaching with preaching, treaching, and maybe that's what I'm going to do this morning. But the, notice, where did they start the first time that we read about the engagement with the enemy of the boundary markers, the enemy of the wall? They start by asking, what did the king really say? 
Anytime you're aiming to develop boundaries in your life that protect what's inside, because we're this temple of the Spirit, the enemy will start by asking you if the king really requires it. Does your God really make it? Does your king really make it? I mean, is this really a big deal here? Does your king, uh, did he really say that? Then you go on Nehemiah 4.1. Sanballat was very angry, and when he learned of, that we were rebuilding the wall, he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. You know what? There's not too many things. I, I, again, we just got coming out of a three-day fast, and now I'm preaching about holiness and consecration. Get ready. I have never in 12 years, almost 12 years of pastoring here, preached on holiness and not had just issues arise right off the bat. Because you know why? When you start to preach about walls and boundary markers and consecration and commitment and setting yourselves apart from the rest of the world and making sure some things are safe, that any time you preach that, it ticks the enemy off to no end. It makes the enemy fly into a rage. Because now it's not just, notice you didn't even read about that type of, that type of battle, that type of resistance when they were, were rebuilding the temple. You don't face as much resistance receiving God's spirit and having this place, a place that he can dwell as much as when you can make a commitment to holiness and consecration. Because anybody can have that one-time experience, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that God wants to pour out on his people. But when we say, now's the time to build a boundary marker so that the things I used to let in from the world, I'm not letting in anymore. Now you've ticked the enemy off. And so he says, he flew into a rage saying in front of his friends, the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? They think they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices. Do they actually think they can make something of stones of a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it. To this day and age, we'd be like, are you serious? That's the best you got? And after asking about whether or not these, these, this command really came from their king, now they start making fun of the walls. And folks, as you go further in your walk with God and he's calling you to aim to live a life of holiness and separation and consecration and commitment, the enemy will... Start by asking if your lifestyle choices really come from the king. And when that doesn't stop you, it often goes to the next step. They'll just start making fun of you. And notice, notice the place that they were being made fun of. It was their place of work. They're working on the walls, you know, their construction, they're up on top of the wall. You got somebody, you know, leaning off the wall and putting, trying to rebuild and trying to, trying to use the materials. Hey, I need another stone. Not that one. You've got one over there. Bring it up to me. You know, they're on their place of work. And while you're trying to work on your job, people are making fun of what you're doing. So if you're here today and you're at a place of employment, just, man, it's just hard sometimes to live for God there. It seems like nobody understands. Do you expect them to understand? 
The things of God are foolishness to people that are not filled with his spirit and don't understand. But you know what? When people get an understanding is when they have the same experience that you have. So I don't, ex- don't expect the world to fully understand your boundaries, your lifestyle choices, your consecration until they experience it themselves. You let your light so shine, and they're going to want what you have. That's why I find it interesting when somebody goes and watching my kids run around. They're like, man, if I was, when I have kids, I'll, I'm like, listen, until you have kids, don't tell me how to parent my kids. <laughs> man, if I was a millionaire, I'd spend it like that. I wouldn't do it like, listen, I've never been a millionaire yet, so I don't have a clue what I would do with a million dollars. So I'm going to tell a millionaire how to spend their millions when I haven't even had one yet. So now what does the enemy do? A question really whether your king really said it. They made fun of you. Now verse 7. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. You got to make sure that as you build walls of consecration and separation that there's not big gaps in them they're being repaired they were furious because they thought I truly believe they felt like after the first two things they would have stopped so here they are they went through the questioning of the king they went through being made fun of and belittled and they're still going and when you're still going and you don't give up That makes the enemy furious. We don't read about this when they're rebuilding the temple. But holiness is another level. He says, so they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Now I'm no longer just making fun. Now I'm ready to do battle. And the enemy wants to confuse you when you're developing safeguards in your life. What did the king, does the king really require that? Are you kidding me? You need to look like that, dress like that, act like that. Your your, your church makes you do that. The church doesn't make you do anything. If I could make somebody do something, all these seats would be filled. We would already be in a different building. I wish I could make someone do something. But now he says, I'm going to go beyond that. Now it's time to cause some confusion. You know, as you start to live for God and you start to say, I want to live for you, God. I want to make commitments. And there's certain, I know there's lifestyle changes that I need to make. A lot of times you're going, well, yeah, but I mean, what's really required? Is it really required? Well, this other person said this. And I know down the church down the road, I used to go here and they said this. And now you're saying this. And, and before we know it, our minds are, I don't even know what to do. I don't Confusion is not always bad. Sometimes confusion, you got to just step back and pray and say, God, bring clarity right now. Bring a word of clarity. And you know where it's going to come from? The Holy Bible. And that's why today I'm staying just in the word because the word will bring clarity. Because the enemy, the king really said that? Is there, you're uh, you're gonna really going to do that, making fun? Now all of a sudden, I'm going to try and confuse you. Remember, they had just gotten done rebuilding the second temple, the place that God would dwell. Now you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. But what's the, what, what lifestyle choices is God calling for you to commit to? 
What are some things that God's calling for you to let go of? What are some changes in your life that God's calling to make? And the enemy may be saying, you really think that's necessary? It's not that big of a deal. But God's trying to say, no, 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 I'm bringing a word of clarity right now. Nehemiah 6.1 then says, Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall. They're going to be happy about that. And no gaps remained that we had not yet set up the doors and the, and the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. He says, yeah, oh no, yeah, don't, don't pay attention to that. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message that we've all heard preached, not all of us, but I'm sure many of you have heard preached. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet you? So what does the enemy do? Did the king really say that? I'm making fun of you now. Third thing is what? Cause confusion. Is it really a big deal? And now I want to distract the leadership. Because it seems like nothing's working. I questioned what the king said. They kept going. I tried to, I tried to make fun of them. They kept going. I tried to, tried to cause confusion, and, and, and they kept going. And, and where was the clarity coming from? Most likely the leadership. Because every church needs strong leaders, people that cause and come up and stand strong and say, hey, I know that you're feeling that, and I've been there, but let me give you a word. Let me give you a scripture. Let's, let me pray with you right now. And so the, the leadership is speaking. So now the enemy says, all right, that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. Now I'm going after leadership. I'm going directly. Notice before he was talking to the people. Do you all oh, look at that? Look at that. Now he says, you know what? Nehemiah, come on down here because I have a question for you. Because anytime you're doing a great work for God, where you're trying to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a boundary marker, a separation. I'm going to establish some things that separate my spirit where God dwells, or my, my temple where God dwells from the rest of the world. The enemy now says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go after the leaders. Refuge Church, if you're in leadership, you better believe that we've already withstood step one. We've withstood step two. We've withstood step three. But now the enemy wants to go after you. The enemy wants to come after your life and your commitment and your consecration and try to get you to come down off the wall and stop what you're doing and let go of some things and make yourself vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. If you're a leader, don't leave your place of safety and security to give in to the whispers of what's on the outside. What's the outside the walls of holiness? I'm not saying hide in your cave and don't talk to a people out there. Those are the people that God has called us to reach. He told us to share the word of our testimony. He called us to go on a great commission with him. But when someone's trying to call you off the wall because your commitment and your consecration and the boundaries that you're building and saying, no, 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 you don't need those things. You don't have to look that way and dress that way and act that way. You can go there. You don't have to do that. Don't be restricted by, by worshiping in that temple. You can look at that enemy and say, listen, if you think this is restriction, you're foolish. I'm placing myself in the covenant of the boundary wall. I'm placing myself inside these walls. There ain't nobody making me do this. There's no rule on this. Are you, are you, are you asking me if I want to live outside or inside the walls? I'm going to choose inside the walls every single time. 
And so this world's trying to say, come on, come down over here. Come on, don't leave the walls. But they stayed the course. They didn't give in to when they questioned the king, when someone made fun of them, when they were, tried to confuse them, and finally when they tried to attack and distract the leadership. But then look at the miracle in, verse, in chapter 615. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we begun. When God's people are willing to separate themselves from the rest of the world and say there's some things that we're going to join together and we're going to build and we're not going to let inside the church, some miracles can happen. With, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. In your face, Sam Blatt and Tobiah, check out the walls. And the people of God stayed unified and the miracle was done. And right there, we could actually almost just end this story and say, go, go build walls, hallelujah. The miracle was completed. The job was done. But now I want to talk to the last part of this. Those of you who already have been living a life of holiness, separation, sanctification, you built that walls of separation. You said, praise God, I'm, my body's the temple, and I, I, I'm consecrated unto God. There's some division, some separation from me and the world. Hallelujah. The job is done. The celebration is on. But then you move on, and chapter 7 tells us about all the list of exiles who now return home. Chapter 8 tells us about the reading of the law, and they began to talk. Chapter 9 tells us about the people's repentance. It was just an amazing time. Imagine this, your, your second temple, that, 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 that temple was rebuilt. The walls that guard the temple now are repaired and rebuilt. The, 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 the people are coming, exiles are coming home. The word is being read, repentance. What a great, that sounds like an amazing church service. And look at how this time of worship and reading of the law ends. Nehemiah 10.38, a priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be the Levites, will be with the Levites as they receive these tithes. And a tenth, a tithe is just a tenth, a tenth of all they took in. And we still believe in that. It's a biblical thing. But it says a tenth of all that's collected as the tithe will be delivered by the Levites to the temple of our God, placed in the storerooms. It went to the, it went to the house. It went to the storeroom. The tithe went to the church. That's exactly what we still do. The storeroom is where the tithes went. The, the, those tithes made it so the ministry lived off the tithe and then was able to minister to the people. Still the way it goes. But verse 39, it says, the people in the Levites must bring these offerings of grain, new wine. Now we use cash because, uh, I mean, if you brought me grain and new wine, I wouldn't even know what to do with that. And olive oil to the storerooms, place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. And look at what it says, and I quote, what did they say? We promise together not to neglect the temple of God. A corporate promise, the walls are rebuilt. Word was just read, ties are being brought to the storehouse, revival in the land. Anytime a church is a giving church, it's a sign of revival. Revival's in the land. Woo! It's a great day. Let's make a covenant together. We promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. 
I promise to never. And because my body is now God's temple, I also today want to make a promise. I will never neglect the temple of my God. But how do we neglect the temple of God? Read on to what transpired. Don't you wish the story ended there and they just had great revival and they had a second temple and the walls stood and God's people? Do you think it could have? It absolutely could have. The way the enemy ever gets into the wall is not because God lets us down. Nehemiah 13, 1, on that same day as the book of Moses was being read to the people, the passage was found that said, no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted into the assembly of God. Now remember, this was Old Testament. Christ died on a cross. He made a way for everyone. So Moabite, Ammonite, they're not around anymore. But if they were, it doesn't matter. Every nation, every kindred, every tongue can come into the presence of the Lord. But at this moment, there was separation literally. And so... God had always, Old Testament and New Testament, he always demanded that his people be separate. In the New Testament, it no longer means that salvation is just for one cultural group or people like it did in the Old Testament with the Jews. But the New Testament does still demand that God's people be separate. As a matter of fact, the Greek word ecclesia means the church, the translated into the church, means the called out ones. So you say, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the church. That means you're, you're taking solace in the fact that you're, 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 you're celebrating the fact that you are called out. Well, if I call someone out right now, you're all being seated right now. If I said, hey, will you come up here right now? I called you out. Now you're different than the rest of the group. God always wanted his church to be called out, to be different, to be consecrated, set apart. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, he says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Do you know what King James says? To be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So when two teams of oxen would plow in a field, they'd put a yoke over their neck, and, and then they could do more together because one would hear, and they would yoke here, and so then they would pull, and they would work like triple, six times the amount of work. It's crazy. The amount that they could get done by yoking together. And so Paul is talking about this in the context of relationships, not just romantic, but even earthly relationships, but especially romantic. I'm not going to put my yoke on with someone who doesn't believe like I do, because guess what's going to happen? The oxen are going to pull in different ways, and you're not going to get anything done. And so Paul is sitting here saying, he's saying, don't be unequally yoked. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Can you answer that question? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. There it is again. We're now the temple. I'm not going to put a yoke on with somebody that doesn't, that's not going the same direction I'm going. That's not arrogance. That's not pride. That's not I'm better than anybody. It just means that, hey, you have a vision of where you're trying to go. I have a vision of where I'm trying to go, and I can't take a yoke and put it on with you right now. There is a New Testament reminder, we are now the temple, just as the temple that Nehemiah built with the walls around it. And notice Paul makes a connection, though, to being the temple and not being yoked to an unbeliever. 
Why is he talking about the temple there? He just got done talking all about not being yoked to an unbeliever. And now he says, hey, don't forget, because you're the temple. He's connecting these two things. This is crucial because in caring for your temple, in making the covenant like they did, we promise not to neglect the temple of our God. It includes being aware of the boundary walls that have been built. Walls that protect the good inside and keep the bad outside. Because when the enemy cannot get you to stop by questioning what the king really said, stay with me. By making fun of you, by trying to confuse you, by attacking and distracting leadership, they just wait until the, until the excitement subsides. This is where I, st I start to bring this to a, to a close here. I'm not, I'm not there yet, so don't even keyboard. Don't run up here yet, Janae. But here's the thing. If the enemy can't, well, I'm going to ask about the king. I'm going to make fun of you. I'm going to confuse you. I'm going to attack and distract the leadership. None of that works. So now, let's just chill until the excitement subsides. Until the laws are done being read and the exiles are returning and the party stops and the music and, and the great area, the great season of growth is over. For a while, this church, oh, I'm telling you, we're, oh, every week there's just people coming in and people come. I mean, just we are growing, growing, growing. And all of a sudden, it seemed like COVID hit. That just stopped, not just for us, but the whole nation. Just kind of stopped a little bit. And the enemy knew I couldn't get them on the high season, but right now, I'm going to try and go after the leaders again. Because now, it's all just subsided. To a time when we're more laxed, and then verse chapter 13, 1. On that same day, the book of Moses was being read to the people. Passage was found, no Ammonite or Moabite, we just read that. For they had not provided the Israelites with food and water in the wilderness. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them, though, uh, though our God turned the curse into a blessing. When this passage of the law was read, all these foreign descent, all those of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly. Before this had happened, Eliashib, the priest, the priest, this is the man of God who had been appointed as a supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God, and who also was a relative of Tobiah, had converted a large storage room and placed it under Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, the various articles for the temple, and the tithes of grain, the new wine, the olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings for the priest. Did anyone just, what in the world just happened? Anybody, did anybody catch what just happened here? Let me point it out. Go back a verse. Before this had happened, okay, so now the temple's there. The walls are rebuilt. The law's being read. The people are in repentance Great things are happening. Ha-ha, Tobiah and Sambalat, we showed you. You couldn't stop us. We win. We did what God wanted us to do. We've accomplished the project. We, are, we, are, we have a wall between us and the rest of the world. We have, a, we have a separation. We're consecrated unto him, and the temple's inside the wall. The 
offerings and the tithes are being put, brought and put in the storehouse for the Levites. And, they're, and now they're back focusing on ministry. And the high priest, oh yeah, he, he, he's a relative of Tobiah now. Wait, what, what? You sat him with me. What are the names of the two arch enemies of this project of what God wanted to accomplish? How in the world did the high priest become a relative of one of God's arch enemies? When it was clear no Moabite, no Ammonite can come into the presence of God. And one of the children of the high priest, who was supposed to be one of the ones that now would lead in the ministry and worship of the church, married a descendant of an arch enemy of God. So much that go to the next verse that it got to the point where the high priest now says, Tobiah, you can have a part of the temple. Oh, now we don't have room for the, we don't have room for the new wine and the olive oil and the tithes of grain. The things that were supposed to equip and empower the ministry to do what God had called them to do are no longer able to take place because the enemy was not only invited into the walls, the enemy was invited into the church. Hold on. You mean to tell me they withstood the questions about the king? They withstood them making fun of him. They withstood the confusion. They withstood the attacks on the leadership. They repented. They read the law. They came back in. They, God dwelled there. And after all that, Nehemiah goes back to the, uh, to the Persian king that he serves. He leaves the strong civic voice that was preaching to the people. And when the church service was done, when the altar call was over when the musicians were no longer playing and everyone went home and the time was over the enemy stepped back onto the scene and said now that all the excitement is gone let's see if we can just make our way into the walls and all of a sudden Priests are limited in their ministry because the provision's not there. And all of a sudden, the provision's not there, so they can't minister to the people. They're not quite as available as they used to be because part of the, part of the church now belongs to the enemy. And how'd that happen? <laughs> Tobiah's kids are marrying the priest's kids. And 1328 tells us one of, Eliah, one of Eliashib's other sons married a daughter of Sanballat. It wasn't just once. Tobiah and Sanballat are the arch enemies of God. Now they're somehow inside the city walls and inside the walls of the church. Do you know why this happened? Because Eliashib's family had intermarried with the families of Sambalat and Tobias. The priest's family decided 
to marry the enemies of God. Isn't it interesting that Paul in the New Testament says, hey, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Because don't forget, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The enemy, how did the enemy get in the church? It wasn't, not by questioning the king, not by making fun of the believers, not by causing confusion, not by going after leadership. The enemy only gets into the church one way. By being invited. The enemy can only get inside your walls when you invite him. And that's why my consecration and separation, my holiness unto the Lord, it's not based on when the law is read. It's not based on how many people come back from exile. It's not based on the amount of people in the pews. It's not based on how good the altar call is, how many people are crying or praying. My holiness is not based on the season in which I'm living. That consecration, that commitment has to be there. Because when the miracle wears off and the preacher goes back home and life goes back to normal and others aren't around and you're all by yourself and, and you sit around telling yourself, some things are just not that big of a deal. Because the enemy will still try to cause confusion. But instead of an attack, now they make it look like a friend. Oh, but God sent me. God ain't never going to send you something that's going to contradict his word. Some things are just not that big of a deal. And somewhere along the line, we forget the covenant we made. I promise not to neglect the temple of God. They made that covenant back then, and I still make that covenant, and you do too every time you come to an altar. Why? The temple now is not this building and these lights and speakers and that screen. The temple, everybody go like this. It's me. It's me. And when I come to an altar, I make a covenant and say, God, I make a covenant not to neglect the place where you now dwell. This is the place that you now dwell. And I refuse to rip down walls and allow the enemy into a place that you now dwell. And where are they going to get in? Right here and right here. The enemy gets in. And you know what? That's why we got to make sure there's no gaps in the walls. I can't protect my ears and leave my eyes open. I can't protect my eyes and leave my ears open. I got to make sure there's no gaps and say, this is a life that I live. Oh, but you're stuck inside the walls. It's so restricting living for God. Are you kidding me? In order to do what? To go outside the walls? To go out there when I know that it's just a matter of time before my, my consecration, my walk with God is destroyed? You better believe. We haven't, I just feel like you Pentecostals are old-fashioned. No, that's, that, that's not back far enough. We're actually ancient. <laughs> old-fashioned is like, oh, that's back in the 40, 30, 20. No, 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 we're further than that. We're like first century. We're like beginning of time. God's always called his people to be called out, to be separated, to be sanctified. <laughs> For Eliashib... It was not him who married the pagan believer and enemy of God. 
This is powerful. Parents, grandparents, elders, those of you with guardians of, of kids and youth, Eliashib, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a priest. Eliashib didn't marry the enemy. It was his children. Because the only way that walls continue to stand, the only way that holiness will withstand the test of time is for one generation to pass a love for it on the consecration, the commitment to separation and sanctification and holiness, the only way the walls keep standing and the boundary markers continue to protect is when one generation loves it enough to pass it on to the next generation. That's the only way. Because you know what? If we don't love this way of life that says, you know what? And again, I don't say this with arrogance. I say this with humility. But God's called us out as his church. We're the spirit. We're the, we're the temple of the spirit. He, he demands a, a, a separation. He called us out. The only way that this will remain, the only way that this church keeps looking and, the, and, and, and acting and carrying ourselves the way we do, I could come. It, once, once I'm dead and gone, there's another generation that comes. And then they die and another generation comes after that. The only way that we keep living with walls of consecration and holiness is for us to love it enough to pass it on to our kids. You want to argue walls of separation don't matter? Go back to the word and you'll find he all, it always mattered. It went from doing the work of the Lord and not paying attention to the enemy to inviting the enemy in to then embracing the enemy. To finally even letting the enemy have a portion of the church. They never intended to give up their consecration. So much that ministry needed to return to the fields. Because there wasn't room in the storehouse to provide for food for the, the church. For the, for the ministers. And what happened in the church in such a short time was that the enemy was given a place in the church when he used to be kept outside. And before long, the children, look at verse, or chapter 13, 24. The children could actually no longer even speak the language of God. How fast we can lose, leave that scripture up, how fast we can lose things from one generation to the next. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. Are you serious? It's really not that big of a deal. I'm living it, whatever. If it's not that big of a deal to you, it's really not going to be a big deal to the next generation. So much, in fact, that in just a short time, furthermore, half their children spoke the language of, language of Ashtad. That's pagan, sinful, vile gods. Some other people couldn't even speak the language of Judah at all. They literally, the enemy had gotten in the church so strongly that the next generation could not even speak the language of God. <sighs> oh, 
all because the enemy was given a place inside the church when they let go of separation. And once they no longer could speak the language of God, they no longer could read or understand the word of God. God's word had lost all of its influence. Why? God's word lost all its influence when they let go of separation. I refuse. It does not matter who's elected, what laws there are. I, I am a law-abiding citizen. Somebody tells me to stop preaching the gospel or stop preaching the word of God. You may have to come bail me out. I refuse to stop preaching holiness, separation, consecration, commitment. Not of my generation. And as I bring this to a close, I want to challenge you to guard your temple. Don't let the walls be torn down. Don't invite the enemy into the church. Do it for your sake. But also, do it for your kids' sake. Do it for your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews. Do it for the, the future generations. And if you have allowed some things in your life that don't belong there, there is hope. This is good news. Look at what Nehemiah did when he came back for a visit to Jerusalem. By the way, Nehemiah was not a Levite. Nehemiah was not a preacher. Nehemiah was, was someone who said, you know what? I'm just a person who helped out with the project, who's a part of the church, but I'm just getting frustrated enough to say something about it. Nehemiah, uh, chapter 13, verse 6, he says, I was not in Jerusalem at that time. For I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed. Oh, man, it's not that big of a deal, man. He has just his kids, and they just married this person. They just gave him a part of the, the temple. And, you know, as you just look at it through that lens, like, it's just not big. A, Nehemiah said, no, no, that was an evil deed. In providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God, I became very upset. He said, I... Get, Get your stuff out of here. I threw it so hard, I opened the cap off the water. He just started throwing things. Can you see this? He goes back and he's like, I didn't work so hard and so long on some boundary lines to have the next generation show up and say the boundaries don't matter. I didn't work so many years in 52 days of my life building something up that the next generation just shows up and tears it down. He says, I'm fixing to get ticked off right now. I'm going to throw this out the temple. And he started just throwing the enemy stuff outside. Listen, church, just like Jesus, he walked into money changers kicking stuff over. There should be some things, and you can stay standing. There should be some things that infuriate us. There should be some things that just get us ticked off, that frustrate us, that make us angry. When we look around and say, 
Why is that in the church? How is this possible? No, 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 no. We are still a place of separation and consecration. And you know where it starts? It starts in your home. There might be some things. You got to go home today and pick some things up and toss those things out the window and say, no, no, no. I didn't know. No, no. We didn't fight this long to get this far, to let that have a room in my house. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're fixing to build a wall right now. Kids, come on around. I know you might not like every decision I'm making. I know at times you say, mom, dad, I want to go kick the soccer ball outside the wall and you say honey I know it's not always fun but I want to tell you why we're doing what we're doing you get that ball and come back inside this wall these walls were built for our protection these walls were built for our security we're not going to tear these things down we're going to make sure that sin stays outside the house and Nehemiah demanded that the rooms be purified, meaning holiness and separation. And I brought the ancient articles for God's temple, the grain offerings, the frankincense. I got some things out that didn't belong there, and I got some things in that did. What does your house look like right now? What you've been watching? What you've been listening to? What you've been wearing? Where you've been going? Maybe there's some things that God's saying, it's time to get some of those things out and bring some of the other things back in and say, I got to build this wall. I got to make sure that, that I'm not letting the enemy in. I also discovered the Levites hadn't been given their prescribed portions of food. I let the enemy in and the ministry was starving. So they and the singers who were to conduct worship, they returned to their work in their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back and restored them to their proper duties. Notice it started with the covenant. He said, y'all made a promise. You said, I will not neglect the, the, the temple of God. So my question is, it? why did you neglect the covenant we made? Why did you sit in an altar and say, I'm going to live a different life. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to neglect the temple that your spirit dwells. But now I see you're doing opposite. Why did it happen? God is a covenant God. In the issue at hand was the temple was being neglected so much that the enemy was invited into the church. But today, I pray that something I'm saying, something God's speaking to you is going to spark something in you that makes a covenant once again as you approach this altar. And you say, God, I, I make a covenant again not to neglect the, the, the temple of God. I make a covenant again, God, that I'm going to go home. I'm going to get some things out that don't belong there. I'm going to get some things in that do. And I'm going to go with my kids. And we're going to start building a wall together. And I'm going to build it with my kids alongside me. I'm not just going to say, oh, it's not a big deal. My kids are going to know what's a big deal. My kids are going to know. Why? Because when I'm dead and gone, I don't want the wall torn down. When I'm dead and gone, I don't want my kids to tear down the bricks and say, well, I don't know why this was here. This isn't such a big deal. Oh, society, generation have changed. I know this mattered to dad, but it's not that big of a deal. No, 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 no. My kids are going to know why the wall stands. They're going to love the wall. They're going to say, you know what? I built a boundary. I was raised in a home where there was safety, where there was commitment to God. I raised a wall where we didn't let some things in. There were some things that we said, you're going to stay outside the wall. Why? Because I'm not going to be one to invite the enemy into the church. I'm not going to be the one to invite the enemy into the church. Oh, come on. Let's make some commitments today at an altar. God, I, I make a covenant again today. 
Lord, I will not neglect the temple. Thank you for filling me with your spirit, Lord. I will not neglect the temple, Lord. Oh, fall in love with holiness. Fall in love with commitment, consecration, separation. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. The world's saying let it go. It's not a big deal. Did the king really say that? Oh, look at you. You look ridiculous. They're trying to distract you. They're trying to get you off. No, 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 no. Don't let it go. Don't let it go.